The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Very important part is our time together. It's our time to do the one another's of scripture together and to do all that we have together. That's what we're here to do. So as we come this morning, we're going to be praying for a sister church. Um, we, if you're visiting with us, we pray usually about once a week. Uh, sometimes we take a little detour, but mostly once a week for a sister church. And this morning we're praying for the Grove Church, the Grove Church. This is a church plant, and a church plant is where uh, Christians get together with uh, the intention of going to an area of the city or wherever, country even, uh, where there is not a presence or isn't really a church or Christian-like presence around. And so the Grove Church meets kind of an old town Gladstone. And there is some presence of, of, of Christian churches there, but they felt specifically called to this area, that area. And Pastor Christian asked us to pray for three things. They just renovated a building. They're trying to reach people, and they're trying to grow people in Jesus Christ. So that's what they're praying for this morning. And they, uh, they've they been around for just a few years. I had no idea about this church until we prayed for them. And equally, they're praying for us this morning. And so we appreciate that as, as uh, we pray for each other. This morning, we're also going to pray. Uh, we don't pray the headlines, but it's good for us to pray together what is happening around the world. And it goes without saying that we're going to continue to pray for Afghanistan. No matter your political leanings, no matter your thoughts on the, uh, the pros and cons of the transition over there, one thing is clear. Uh, Christian brothers and sisters who we have more in common with than any one of a political party this side of heaven and for all eternity are under deep persecution. We're going to pray for uh, wisdom for those leaders who are leading churches in Afghanistan, for those who are in uh, leadership uh, here who are helping to transition out. We have a, a dear brother, I'm uh, I'm looking outside of their car at the Moody's, but uh, John and Teresa and I know Scott Bronner, who's with Concilium, one of the uh, groups that is helping to transition out leaders of churches in Afghanistan and do it safely and biblically, but also with an eye to, to, to keep people focused on Christ. And so that's a hard thing to do. So we're going to pray for those things. If you'll bow your heads with me, we're going to get started in praying for that. Again, thank you for being here. We will be in 2 Timothy chapter 4 after we pray, continuing our series, The Churches. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you so much for the chance to pray, to be heard, to be, to be seen by you, to be known by you, Lord. It's not about us. It never has been. But we thank you that in your divine plan, that sending forth your son to die, Father, for first for to die for, for your glory, for you to be glorified, but secondly, to include us in that, Lord, us sinners who don't deserve anything except the worst, that, Father, at the cross, you gave us your best, your very own son. Thank you so much. And, Lord, we want to pray for our sister church, the Grove Church. Father, uh, we pray for them. Thank you for Pastor Christian and his leadership in renovating this building, trying to reach kind of the downtown part of Gladstone. 
Father, we pray that they, as they've met numerous people, he said this week, in, in, in outreaches, even the summer with COVID and all the things, we pray for fruit of ministry. We pray for people to come to Christ, that they would truly be saved. They would repent and believe the gospel, and that, Lord, people would grow in Christ. He's especially asking prayer for his church, but for those who have recently come to their church and come to Christ, that they too would grow. Bless that congregation. It's a very young uh, not only numerically in age, Lord, but also in, in the age of the church, just a few years old. We pray that you bless them, Lord, whether they have five or 5,000. Lord, let them glorify your name. Father, we do pray for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ, who this side of heaven we may never meet physically, Father, but eternally we will share heaven together with out in Afghanistan. Lord, we pray. There's such unrest there. There's unrest all over the world, but especially this week, we're praying for Afghanistan. Father, we are praying that the gospel would save people, that your spirit would move among those, especially among the Taliban, and even those regular residents, Lord, just living under their conditions, that they would come to know Christ. Father, you called Saul, uh, the, who, who was the Apostle Paul, out of uh, persecuting Christians to become one of the greatest defenders of Christians. So, Father, would you raise up a Saul, well, a Paul, if, it, if you will. Father, call them out. May people be saved. Give wisdom, too, to all those on the ground who are trying to keep people safe and moving. Well, Father, we especially pray for Christian organizations, Brother Scott Bronner and others who are helping transition out, uh, not only people from America and others who served as missionaries, but also local believers having to make decisions, literally, perhaps, life and death decisions. Father, may they stand strong in the gospel. May people who know Christ find your peace and strength unlike any other time in this day and this age. Father, we love you as we enter your word today. Father, help us. Thank you for the chance that we get together, just even in this short time, to study what it is about that we are to be as a church, as families, and also together as Christians. Father, we love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, I'm going to turn. Uh, we're going to actually do a quick computer thing here. If you'll turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to be in verses 1 to 6, verses 1 to 6. And as we go there, we just want to remind you, if you're watching online, is that we are outside today. We are outside, and so if you're watching online, uh, the audio is going to kind of uh, be as strong as it's going to be. And so as we come together, we just want to remind you of that. And if you're inside, thank you for your patience as we do that. So 2 Timothy chapter 4 and 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we are looking at today what it is that the Word is preached, that the Word is preached. This is such an important thing, guys, because in so many churches, the Word is not preached. It's, it's entertained, it's, it's mimicked, it's done a lot of things, but it's not preached. And so today, we want to look at that the church is where the Word is preached. So if you have your Bible, 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5, if you're inside, I know it's, I can't see you, but let uh, if you're able to stand with us wherever you are, if you'll stand with us in the honor of reading God's Word together, let's read it before we get into the passage itself. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Actually, we're going to back up to chapter 3, the last couple verses of chapter 3. We'll start in chapter 3, verse 16, down to verse 5 of chapter 4. Hear God's Word this morning. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And Paul says in chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. 
preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wandering into myths. As for you, though, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. And so at this point, I want you to know this is what God said to Paul, to the, uh, to the apostle Paul, to Timothy. This was written to a specific man, but this letter was also read widely by the churches that, that Timothy served in. So what you have before you is not just for pastors, not just for preachers, not just for young seminary guys like Lane. And our, uh, we have a brother here this morning. Many of you met him, uh, Brother Wabong, who's from India, is going to be joining us uh, today and hopefully for a while in the future. Not just for guys like that studying for the ministry. This is for everybody. Because wherever you go, this is a binding call, a binding command to God's people and what we are to do as a church. So this morning... If you've heard this before, praise the Lord, because a lot of people haven't. If you've never heard this before, I pray that God uses it in your life, and I pray he encourages you through it. Let's go before the Lord, and let's pray, and we'll get into our scriptures from there, and uh, we will go as we do. And let's pray together. Father, thank you so much as we come. Thank you that we have the opportunity to hear your word. Father, this is not the nightly news. This is not the latest sports talk. This isn't the latest updates on uh, the virus and its effects. This isn't what's happening around the world. Father, the Bible is not immune to those things. It speaks to so many issues across time. But Father, this is your word. This is perhaps the most important time that we can come together as a church. We have sung your word. We have fellowshiped around your word. Father, we've spent time in small groups studying your word. And now, as we feast on it this morning, not literally, we're not literally eating Bible pages, but Father, spiritually, as you know, we come to you and we pray your spirit enlightens our heart, illuminates our hearts, just lights it up so we see it once again for what it is, the word of God. Lord, we love you so much. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, I want you to know that on... You know, as you get into cereal boxes as one of those things, cereal boxes are always a fun thing. But if you especially buy them from Walmart or Aldi or some of those, you buy a box or a bag of chips, you expect it, don't you, to be filled to the top. But if you look on the side, there's always a little note. I'm, I, I'm trying to pull it up here on my, my phone to get it. I had a box inside I was going to use before I preached outside. But it basically says something like this. It says on the side of the box, sold by uh, weight, not by volume. Sold by weight, not by volume, which is interesting. They basically mean is they're going to fill it up to however much weight it's going to be, but it's not going to expand all the way to the top. Well, what is the point? A lot of churches today have a lot of volume. They reach far across the world in how their music sounds and what their atmosphere is like and, and how they deal with things. They're are, there are, there are a mile wide, but they're an inch deep when it comes to the weight of what they're actually talking about. But there's the opposite side. There's so many churches that preach the Word of God well, but they have no impact in their community. They have no fellowship among the saints. They just have good preaching. And friends, I'm here to tell you that the Bible calls us to both. And it starts with the preaching of the word. We are to have weightiness to our faith. Our faith is not a crutch you just stand on because you have nothing else in life. 
Our faith is historical, our faith is supernatural, and our faith is truth. That is the weight. But the volume of everything we believe should stretch out to everything that we do. And that begins with biblical preaching. What is preaching? Well, it's actually a political term. If you've seen those old movies before, when someone came to a town, the king would send out their herald. And, and, and the herald would go out before the people and say, hear ye, hear ye, this is the word of the king. That's exactly what the word preach is. We are taking the word of God, the king of the universe, and we are sending it out. We're sending the weightiness of it, the truthfulness of it, to spread out in volume around the world. But if you did not heed the herald, if you did not heed what the king said, then you could be in deep trouble. And friends, there are a lot of churches, a lot of Christians who don't understand what the word of God is because they don't have and surround themselves with biblical preaching. So what was Paul's command to Timothy? It's simply this, preach the word, preach the word. This passage is often used as we encourage pastors or as we come together as a church or as we look at what we are as Christians. But I want you to know today, this word, preach the word, should encourage you as you deepen your worship life. It should encourage you as you look around this world, as you try to figure out how we solve all these problems. It should encourage you to be light and salt in this dark culture because the more you hear what the Bible says, especially through preaching, the more you understand what you are to be in this world as you go around. So what makes biblical preaching relevant? What should be your response in the midst of preaching? Well, the big idea today is simply this. It's that the goal of the church isn't a bigger budget or a building, but to see the word of God increase and disciples multiply. Look, biblical preaching is often not a high priority in most churches. It's music styles or ministry or or, or, or buildings, or congregational prominence, or uh, even in some churches, it's, it's the uh, parking lot. How does our parking lot look? I, yeah, you got to keep your facilities up. You don't want to just treat them badly. They're yours, God gave you. But so often, when church shoppers come, and when people come looking at a church, they're more concerned about things that the Bible isn't concerned about, and less concerned about what God is really concerned about. And I want you to know, church, as a reminder that preaching has always been the distinguishing mark of the church of the Jesus Christ. Because if we preach it faithfully, we will be shaped by it eternally. And conversely, a church's success, if it does not meet biblical preaching where it should be, is not a successful church. So this morning, I want you to see what this means that we preach the word. And again, if you've heard this before, may this encourage you, may this remind you, may this just be a kick in the pants to speak it plainly to you this morning, to be around wherever you go, the word of God preached. The church is and does more than preach, but biblical preaching is essential to all the church is and all the church does. First thing I want you to see in verse 1 is the significance of the call to preach the word, the significance of the call to preach the word. He says in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. The word charge here, the significance of the call to preach the word, is to solemnly testify. Paul is speaking to Timothy as authority down to a protege, as a, as a master to a servant, if you will, as a, as a teacher to a student. 
in a real sense, Paul is calling upon heaven and earth to be Timothy's witness as to what is going to happen in his ministry. And Paul does this about five or six different times in, in his letters to Timothy. He charges him in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, and our kids are learning this as we're going through those years of respect and, and learning respect. But if someone comes to you and says, you need to act a certain way because you represent our family, most of us of a certain age are going to kind of, you know, we're going we're gonna to get tight in the back and we're going to say, okay, we know, we know what we need to do. If an army sergeant comes into a bunch of privates in, in, in basic training and, and starts yelling, those privates aren't going to look at him and laugh. If they do that, they know exactly what's going to happen to them next. And Timothy understood the weight, the significance of what was happening here. Paul calls upon heaven and earth and all the witnesses therein that he would do one thing, that he would preach the word. Paul pointed Timothy to the true and living God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the final judgment, the second coming in the kingdom of heaven. And Christian, you live within the grasp of this view too. Our God is an omniscient God. He's all-seeing. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. But this must have been how Timothy felt as he read his letter. He felt the weight of what was being said because it was so important. And Christian, I want to remind you, if you have a Bible, you have that same witness happening to you wherever you are. The same witness of this is true. You carry around the weight that God gives you in the Word. If you're not preaching, that's fine. But the same charge is, is that you are part of a kingdom that will never be shaken. Part of a word that will never be uh, taken away from God himself, even though people try. But as you come, you come as a Christian, just as Timothy did. The significance of the word is that God is watching. And that shouldn't be a shuddering thing. It is, it is a fearful thing, Hebrews says, to fall in the hands of the living God. But as a Christian, it's a freeing thing because as we study this word, as we preach this word, as we live out this word, we have 100% of God and all the hosts of angels behind us cheering for us, as it were, to live it out. But he charges him in the presence of Christ and of God. I mean, just feel that weight. God is there, but so is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the ultimate accountability. God the Father and God the Son are monitoring, monitoring what we do here at this church. Yeah, I, you know, to, to speak very plainly, brass tacks, I'm accountable to the congregation. That's a, that's a Baptist thing. We're congregationalists. I'm accountable to you as your pastor, but ultimately, ultimately, as we all are, I'm accountable to the Lord. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the heart, or excuse me, the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And it's significant here in verse 1 that the Christ Jesus is mentioned. If you look back at your Bible, it said, one preacher said, uh, preachers should always point back to the Bible and wave with one hand, make gestures with one hand and point to the Bible with the other. So there you go. But this solemn charge is given in the presence of Christ Jesus. Notice here that he's equated. Jesus is equated. He's on equal playing field with the Father. This is the same claim Jesus made in John 10:30. I and the Father and one. And he goes on to say that Jesus is going to be the one who's to judge the living and the dead to judge the living and the dead. What are the living and the dead going to be judged by? They're going to be judged by the word of God. Jesus is coming again. He will consummate the present but not yet kingdom of God, and all humanity will stand before him. 
and what a weight that is for everyone who hears the Word of God, and especially those who preach the Word of God. We are called to do lots of things as Christians. We are called to visit the sick. We're called to do the one another passages. We're called to be a part of the church and, and share the gospel. But perhaps the most important, if not one of the most important things that we have in the full weight of eternity is that we hear the word, and especially for us pastors, that we preach the word. That is where we have the weight of all these things. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, was asked one time by a young preacher, uh, he asked uh, this young preacher, he said, how you doing? He said, I'm not doing too well. He said, why? He said, well, I don't have too many people in my congregation. And Spurgeon, who had a church of about 5,000 at its height, all those who could fit in there safely at least, said, well, how big's your church, brother? He said, it's about 100 people. He said, son, that'll be enough to give account for on Judgment Day. 100 people is enough to stand before God for a long time. And he's right. Christian, we get so preoccupied with size, success, and celebrity that we must remember. We must remember that the Lord will not ask us the size of anything, the size of our family, the size of our budget, the size of whatever. It's how we handle the significance of this word that we have, and especially the call to sit under the preaching of or to give the preaching of the word of God. That's the significance. That's first one, first point, the significance of the call to preach the word. The biggest point here, the second one, is the sum of our call to preach the word. The sum, S-U-M, of our call to preach the word. So verse 2 answers several questions. For instance, let's do the first one. What should we preach? Well, look back at verse 2. He tells you, doesn't he, to preach the word. That's an obvious answer, right? But that is preaching rest in its content, not its function. But what is the content? Well, he tells you here. He tells you what this is. We must preach. We must preach what? We must preach the word. And the content must be biblical. The content must be biblical. This is not a time for personal testimony. This isn't a time for political speech or a therapy session or a motivational talk or self-help advice or worldly philosophies. It's a time for the word of God. And as that herald was sent out by the king, the assignment was to deliver the message of the king. It wasn't his message. It wasn't what he wanted it to be. He didn't have editorial authority over it. He could not change it to suit the crowd. Neither do we. Martin Luther, the great reformer, rightly said, the pulpit is the throne of the word of God. And so, Christian, you must pray for the preaching of God's word. If you're here today and you're a regular Joe member of Tower View Baptist Church in Casey North, your job is to pray that we stay on task for this. Oh, it is so tempting. Can I be honest with you for a second? It is so tempting to not preach the Word of God. It's easier not to preach the Word of God because we don't usually get in as much trouble, don't usually get as much feedback or negative feedback as we do when we preach anything other than the Word of God. But you know what? That's not what we're called to do, is it? The content should be biblical. What do we preach? We preach the word. Its content is biblical. But secondly, its meaning is biblical. Look, you can preach about a lot of things. You can go to the Westport or the plaza or some square anywhere, and some guy's going to be up on a stool saying all sorts of things. But that's why 2 Timothy 2.15, if you want to look back there, it says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, as a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Biblical preaching involves more than just reading 
quoting and mentioning scripture. It's explaining what the word actually means. And guys, I'm going to tell you, that's hard sometimes. It's hard to, to really dig in when, uh, when you spend hours on a text, you hope you got it right. But we do this in two ways. We, we, we explain it to you. We exposit it to you. Expository sermons. We give you what God says, not what we want. Even if our flesh wants to say something else, we don't give you what we want. We give you what God says. I mean, I mean, we could impose what we want on the text. We could actually get out there and we could tell you what we want it to say. So many people do that. I remember several years ago, uh, I was in seminary at the time. There was a guy named Brian McLaren. Brian McLaren, please don't follow him. He's a, he's a quack, Q-U-A-C-K, like a duck. And he does this. He taught many years ago that John 14, 6, you know that verse, right? It says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The way, the definite article. And McLaren translated that verse, well, Jesus is a way, a truth, and a life. He imposed his own thoughts on that. And I remember standing in Gano Chapel, William Jewell, as a seminary student at Midwestern at the time, and that was ruckus applause. Just, whoa, that's so true. How can those Christians say Jesus is the only way? We can say lots of things about the Bible. It doesn't mean it's right. I mean, think about it. If you go on a, a trip somewhere, when you get on an airplane, you're clear about the destination, the flight number, and the time to depart. You make sure to get to the right gate. Don't just go to any gate. You go to the gate you need to. Why? Because you want to get to your intended destination. And so should we as scripture. As we preach the word, the content and the meaning must be biblical. But notice also the focus must be biblical. When he says the word, what is he talking about here? Well, Paul had in mind here with Timothy probably the Old Testament. But really what he's talking about in the grand scheme of things is the Old Testament, but also the gospel. His preaching was to focus on the Old Testament and especially how it was fulfilled in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.23, we preach Christ crucified. 2 Corinthians 4.5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Christian, I pray from this pulpit you will never cease to hear the glorious old, old story that we all love, that Jesus came to die for sinners such as us. And if you're here today, if you're not a Christian, this sounds funny. This really does sound funny. They're going to talk about Jesus and that's it? Yeah, because we believe that we are not good enough to go to heaven, and we believe that only Christ himself can save us, and that's what he came to do. So that's, that's what we should preach. Well, when should we preach it? Look back at verse 2. You got your Bible still? He says, do it in season, be ready in season, and be ready out of season. Verse 2, ready denotes an urgency and earnestness. In other words, we must always be ready to share, to preach the word as a church, whenever the Lord is needed. And in that sense, it's a call to preparation. Yes, I had to slip in a, a Chiefs training camp update. I don't know. I, I, I don't keep up. We don't have time at home. Three kids, we love them dearly, but we, we go to bed exhausted every night and wake up exhausted every morning, just like you do. But apparently training camp is wrapping up. The NFL, there's football every Sunday from last Sunday until the 1st of February. Isn't that crazy to think about? But those guys, they're supposed to be ready in season and out of season. Olympic athletes will spend years, decades even, for one race, for one little race, to get a, a medal around their neck that's worth at most the gold $540. That's crazy. Friends, if athletes can spend so much time focusing on something that is fun and has a place for society and entertainment in its place, 
How much more should we be ready? Christian, 1 Peter 3.15 tells you to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within you. To do it with gentleness and respect. In season tells us that we have a call not only for preparation, to know what we believe, but also perseverance. In season refers to an opportune time. It's the same word that's used in Mark 14 when Judas, you remember that? He sought a convenient time to betray Jesus. Well, I don't have to tell you, evil's always lurking and looking for a convenient time. But so few churches and Christians are always looking for things to do other than preach the word. But it's also out of season. We are to preach the word when it does not a good time to preach. We're to preach the word when it gets us in trouble. We're to listen to the Bible when it gets us in trouble. If preaching brings no harvest, we must keep doing what it says. Keep preaching. It doesn't mean that if a church preaches and preaches and preaches, thousands of people will come. God may do that. We're to be faithful to what God has told us to do. We should strive to be faithful and fruitful, but we must be faithful even when things are not fruitful. We must refuse to measure our ministries by how many people respond. When people raise their hand, they want to come to Christ, or the views go out of the roof on a, on a YouTube video or a Facebook Live video. It, listen, it's not my job or Pastor Nelson or whoever preaches to fill the pulpit. It's God's job to fill the pulpit and to fill the building. We're just messengers. So don't be discouraged if our church never becomes a mega church. I mean, think about Noah. You've heard this before, but really think about Noah. He said, I have a word from the Lord. It's going to rain. And he did that for 100 years. He starts building a boat for 100 years. He's so convinced that it's going to do this, but no one listens. But he kept doing it. He preaches over 100 years. He has no converts outside his family, outside of his sons and their wives and his wife. But while they were drowning in the flood, sadly as that is, as judgment came upon them, Noah was floating in the ark because he was the one who listened to the word of the Lord in season and out of season. The real harvest is at the end of the age, not at the end of a service, end of the year, or even the end of a ministerial tenure. Be ready in season and out of season. So the what, the when, so how should we preach? Look at the end of verse 2. Look at the end of verse 2. He says, how should we preach? We should reprove, rebuke, and exhort. These are three commands. Let's go through them quickly. He says the first is to reprove. This is to convince a person that they are in error. It's to convince them that they're wrong. They need to turn back. It's like a mom or a dad seeing a wayward child in deep trouble. And yes, we need to give some latitude for kids to make mistakes and all those things. But like serious, serious trouble. It's like a parent going to that kid and saying, you need to turn back. You need to come back. And this is why. It's the same word used in 1 Timothy 5.20 where Paul instructs Timothy to rebuke sinning pastors or elders. The second command here in verse 2 is that he rebuke them. It complements the first. It's, it's an act of showing a person his error regardless of how that person responds. Oh, wait, that's, how, that's pretty much how Christianity works, isn't it? We go to someone and say, look, you're a sinner. You, you're dying. You, you need to come to Christ. And they just laugh you out of the room or, laugh, or they just walk off. Well, friends, together, reprove and rebuke remind us that a faithful ministry must confront sin, expose error, whether people like it or not, whether they receive it or not, whether they vote you as a five-star rating on Google or not. It doesn't matter. And finally, exhort 
into verse 2. He says, it reminds us it's a commitment to exhort. So many times preachers can get, and you can see YouTube clips of this, they just go off. Guys, I mean, they go off just like a, like a venom has just come out of their mouth, like a king cobra got in that guy's mouth and just spewing out. Look, faithful preaching warns that the way that seems right to men is one that leads to death, as Proverbs says, but it also in love and compassion leads the sinner to the cross where Jesus paid it all, where Jesus paid it all. So there's the significance of preaching, the sum of preaching, and finally, there's the scuffle of preaching. We'll close with this, the scuffle. You know what a scuffle is, don't you? Scuffles, if you had brothers, what you got into all the time with them when you wrestled them and your mom and dad came in to tell you to stop. A scuffle is a fight. It's a, it's a down and dirty, in the muck kind of thing. There's a scuffle of the preaching. But I want you to know that this scuffle comes, the scuffle will come as it does with patience and with teaching. With patience and with teaching. Verse 2 tells us that we must have complete patience. As we go into the world and tell them, as we preach, as we share the gospel, as we as members live out what God has for us, we must care for the truth and we must care for people at the same time. And it can be done. But there's going to be a scuffle. Why? Because there's some people, verse 2 tells us what, when, and how to preach. But look at verses 3 and 4. Why is it so important? Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears... They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and lust and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. What's he talking about here? Paul foresaw an emerging and inevitable period when biblical preaching, teaching, and living it out would be out of season. But who's he talking about? Surely Paul's not talking about the great people of Ephesus uh, in the city of Ephesus where where, where Timothy probably was when he got this letter. Surely Paul is talking about those people outside the walls of that, that house church as it probably was. Surely Paul is not talking about people with the, inside the church, is he, pastor? Yeah, he actually is. He's talking about people here who profess Jesus with their lips, but know nothing about him in their hearts, minds, and souls. They're not saved. That they became part of the church for whatever selfish reason sinful reason even, that their sinful desires would lead them to promote false teachers. Friends, I want to remind you, the Bible consistently condemns false teaching. There's a, there, you, you know me, and I'm not afraid to say this. There are times and dates where I will give you names of teachers you need to avoid. Paul did it. He did it boldly, but he did it with a backbone, but he did it lovingly. It tells us that false teachers should not have a platform in our, our churches. Why? Because people get itching ears. I don't, I'm not a doctor. I know we've got a couple nurses in our midst and some other medical people in our church. Maybe you can help us out. Itching ears, is, there, is that a syndrome? But the Bible says it is. In fact, the person who preaches to these types of people may be an ear tickler. He tells them what they want. You know, my wife and I, uh, read. Uh, we, we, we watched an old movie the other day, skipping a lot of parts, but we watched the old movie, Catch Me If You Can, with Leonardo DiCaprio and um, uh, Forrest Gump, what's his name, Tom Hanks. And it's a story about a man named William Agnale. I can never say his last name. He was in the 60s and 70s, and he basically was a, a late teens con artist. He, he supposedly uh, wrote fake checks. He traveled all around the world, lived a lavish lifestyle, but his life 
was a complete farce. He told people what they wanted to hear. And people believed him because he was so convinced and convincing. He was an ear tickler. And once everyone stopped chasing him, once everyone stopped following after him, he didn't know what to do with his life. He just gave up. And he eventually got arrested. And you can read the rest of the story. My point is this, is that Paul says we are not to be like that from the pulpit. We are going to tell you things at times, church, that are going to hurt hurt you, not in a way that we hope is sinful, but, but, but challenges you biblically to think as God would have you think. He tells us to do this. Why? Because people, there's time coming where people are turning away from the truth. How do you spot a false teacher within five minutes? Usually it's how they're playing to the crowd. A false teacher, especially in preachers in these day and age, and I'll tell you a false teacher right now. His name is Stephen Furtick out in Charlotte, North Carolina. His muscles are bigger than his Bible. He's a graduate of one of our seminaries here in, 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 in the United States. He went to Southern Seminary. Mr. Furtick has gone from a man who preached the gospel now having a mega church in Charlotte, North Carolina. He's now pastoring alongside the likes of T.D. Jakes, Joyce Meyer, Benny Hinn, Joel Osteen. Do I need to go on? Etc. 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 And when asked directly why he does not want to preach the gospel anymore, he basically said that people don't want to hear that; they want to hear what I have to say instead. Church of about twenty thousand people. Some of his songs, by the way, some of his church's songs are floating around. Life eighty-eight point five. You shouldn't boycott Life eighty-eight point five by that. By that, but you be careful. People want to hear what they want to hear, and he goes on in verse four, and he says they're going to get away and wander off into myths. Friend, every person who tries to do what God wants them to do eventually is going to get off track if they don't stay and do what God says. You be very careful who you listen to on the internet, on the radio, wherever you are. Biblical preaching is going to take you back to the cross, not yourself. Does the Bible talk about you? Yeah, it does. It says that God loves you. He's never going to let you go. He's always there for you. He's in your corner, to use that simple language. Yes, he is. But our God should never be a God that becomes a genie in our bottle. He should be the God that we bow before and say, holy, holy are you, O Lord, and I am just a worm. But grateful you, we are that you gave us everything. And with this, he says three things quickly. He says, he tells Timothy, he says, always be sober-minded. He tells him, to do this in a way that is, is, is watchful. It's on alert to be stable, steady, and serious. He tells him to endure suffering, verse 5. He says, look, as you preach the word, as your church rallies around that word, you're going to suffer for it. You might not always see it directly, but I'm telling you, it's coming. He said in 2 Timothy 2.3, share in suffering as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. And then he finally says there, he says, do the work of an evangelist. We don't know if this is, uh, Timothy had the gift of evangelism. You can debate that all day. But what he's simply saying is this, is that we must preach the gospel to the lost. Who's the church for? The church is for the sheep. It's for the saved. But all those, and if you're here today or you're watching online, you're listening to my voice whenever, you're welcome anytime. But the church is primarily for Christian, for Christians, for saints. But we always have those among us who don't know Christ and I pray that the, the, the gospel is always so clear here that no one can walk out without knowing that truth. And finally, he says, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. He's basically summarizing it all. Timothy, in season, out of season, wherever you are, accomplish 
your assignment. That's what you're here to do. Christian, that's what we are called to do. And if there is one thing, and I'm going to get, I, I, I put all my application notes because I knew I'd take a little longer on the actual sermon online. I'll send that out on the weekly email and on Facebook. But you need to pray. You need to continue to pray for the preaching of God's word to have effect in our church. You need to continue to pray for the preaching and teaching and living out of God's word among us as members. Parents, and I, I admit we need to do better at this at our house, do, do, or take opportunity would be a better way to say it. Talk about what we talked about at church on the way home, over lunch with your kids, grandkids. I know we have a lot of young families inside right now, grandparents inside or outside. Take time to talk about it. Work it in a conversation. Before you go play outside or, or, or turn on the newsletter, whatever you do, reflect on what has been talked about today. If you take notes, pray over those notes, share those notes, encourage others with those notes. But I want you to know that God's word is sufficient for all matters of faith and practice. And despite all the craziness, our calling and our mission remains the same. We're going to share God's word and we're going to grow around it. And I'm so thankful for our worship team. I'm thankful for our Sunday school teachers. I'm thankful for our property, you know, our share team, Doug and Cindy, and so many others who help around that everything we do, we seek to do that. May we never lose focus of that alone. Guys, we love you so much. Thank you. Let's pray together. Again, thank you for your patience on a different day. Some of you asked if we'd ever use this preaching pulpit again, and here we are. So let's uh, rejoice in that. Diana, thank you for making this cool pulpit we have, uh, or this uh, kind of lectern thing she made out of some pieces of wood. It's all there for the one purpose that the word of God would be preached. A church is where the word should be preached. Let's pray together, and we'll invite the worship team to sing, and after we sing our last song, we'll be dismissed. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning. Father, we thank you for a day today, especially for those of us outside where it's not uh, burning hot. It's, it's summer, but it's cooler. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the technology. Thank you for Amy and Brennan and Pastor Nelson and Tom and others who help uh, uh, just kind of man that, that sound booth and audio thing. Father, thank you for uh, those children's workers we have who seek to take the word that's preached and taught into the lives of our young people. Father, would you save our young children? We have a lot of young elementary and upper preschool children in our midst. Father, we pray for our grandparents in this church today. We pray as many of them have heard decades on decades of preaching, Lord, that you would encourage them to continue to pray those words they hear every Sunday on those children who are grown and maybe out of the house uh, and not walking in the way they professed so many years ago. Father, we pray for parents who have teenagers in our church. We pray that, Lord, even if they've never started before with spending time around the word together as a family, that they would start that priority. And Lord, uh, that you can redeem the time for marriages, Lord, in our church, that the word would remain supreme in what is taught and lived out. And, and for singles, Lord, who are waiting on a spouse or those who've lost a spouse, widow or widowers in our church. Father, may the word of God just encourage and exhort. And, and Father, by your spirit, bring them closer in fellowship with you. Father, as a church together, we pray for the preaching of the word. It's not about style. It's not about how many points we have, even if it goes a little longer on a Sunday than maybe we'd like. Lord, we pray this one thing for all of us together, that we build our ministry 
our church, our vision for the future of the church and every bylaw and procedure and all the things we have coming up to talk about around your word. And Father, where there are certain passages where we can amicably disagree on, uh, Father, how that might apply in that situation, give us grace, give us wisdom, give us patience. And Father, we especially pray as we close for those in our midst without Jesus Christ, that Father, your word, as Lane read, it's a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Lord, that it would not return void in their souls, whether it's rejected straight out, internally or externally, or it's received and it grows on, on that soil ground that Jesus talked about and flourishes. May you be glorified. We love you so much, Lord. We pray all this today in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen.